Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Be in God's Word and let it change our life. If you don't mind, let me try to show you the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge tells you why and what. Wisdom tells you how. There are people that can have great knowledge. They can know the why of Scripture and debate great theologies. They can also know what to do, have the training of how do you now live your Christian life. But the wisdom is the how to actually put it into your daily life. And what he's saying here is that you would have understanding of the great riches of the balance of the understanding, the knowledge, and the wisdom together that's going to come from God's Word. So if our church is going to grow in a healthy way, then our health is going to come as we grow to become more fully like Jesus Christ. And that's going to come when we fully embrace the supremacy of Christ and, watch this, the sufficiency of God's Word. We know that to be true. Are you letting it change your life? My question to you is, when was the last time you had a meaningful, quiet time with God and His Word to the point you weren't speed reading the Bible, but when you walked away from your quiet time, you chose to think, speak, or live differently? When was the last time you did that? I'm not on a guilt trip with you. I'm just saying I'm agonizing with you. Because I know when you're not there, the more you drift, there's going to be that atrophy in your spiritual walk. Secondly, When was the last time you went to a meaningful connection group, whether it's in the middle of the week or Sunday morning, or are you skipping? Look at Sunday morning. Just get up an hour earlier. Here it is, godly people working hours to prepare spiritual food for you to get together so you could have this training available to you, not in place of a quiet time, but in addition to it, it's like getting a little bit more spiritual fertilizer from God's Word. You have that opportunity. So just get up an hour earlier. What are you doing all week long that's more important than one hour than with a connection group maybe in the middle of the week? Now think about it for a moment. I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip, but I'm agonizing, and let me just pour out my heart to you. Pastors can give you a lot of fluff. They can do this stuff, but I don't want to do this. I care for you. I want you to grow. What is so important on a Sunday morning that would keep you from being here? What, what, is, what a testimony for you to be together to worship and love one another. What joy there is. What laughter on the lanai. That's what we ought to call it. The laughter on the lanai place. It's all there. And then you have the word that's taught here. Carefully, prayerfully, well thought out. Biblical. Verse by verse, often. And so he says, I want you to grow. I'm agonizing you. But now let me go a little bit further. He didn't just say, I agonize that you be more like Christ, but he also agonized in a secondary. He says, Paul agonized for people to reject deceitfulness strongly. He wanted them to reject deceitfulness strongly. In the verse it says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. And we'll stop there for a moment. Now this I say, what does he say? He says two things. I agonize over you. And secondly, he says, I want you to be fully mature in Christ through being encouraged, united in love, and of course, having a greater understanding. He says, I want you to know I'm saying these things. But now, if you know these things, you then won't be deceived with persuasive words. Now, would you take your pencil for a moment and it says, should deceive you? Underline the word you, should deceive you. 
when I read that passage and I'm thinking, why would Paul write that then and God would want me to have it today because he preserved it in Scripture? That must mean that I could, as a believer in Christ, because he's not writing to unsaved people, he's writing to Christians, that I could have the propensity to be deceived. <gasps> could I be deceived? The answer is yes. Could you be deceived after all these years? Could you be deceived from knowing exact truth? And Paul is saying, I'm saying all this to you. I'm agonizing you so that you won't be deceived. What a great heartache it would be for you someday to wake up finally in heaven and to know for many, many years you could have had different rewards or other things you were missed out on because you've allowed yourself to be deceived. He's going to now tell you who are the deceivers and then he's going to tell you and me how we're deceived. So one argument could be I'm deceived because I have all these deceivers in my life and so we could put too much time blaming deceivers, which there are plenty of them out there. Or what we could do is to recognize there are deceivers, but even though I'm living in a world of deception, I don't have to be deceived. So what do I need to do to step up in this world so I now can prevent myself from being deceived from that truth? And that's really what he's speaking about. He'll warn you. He'll tell you who are the deceivers. Let's look at the passage now. Follow along, he says. They'll deceive you with persuasive words. Now, what does it mean to be deceived? It means to be misled or led someone astray. So there's going to be people who using persuasive words or arguments will now lead you astray. For though I'm absent in the flesh, yet I'm there in the spirit. Now stop there for a moment. I'll see if I can explain this to you. Back in Colossae, you'll know that Colossae, the city there, was very much like Honolulu. They had people that worshipped angels, New Age people. There were people that worshipped other gods. There were people that worshipped uh, works in order to get to heaven. So, in a sense, the spiritual and cultural society of Colossae 2,000 years ago is very much like Honolulu. So now, let's take it into the Honolulu days. Just like they could have been deceived in those days, Paul would be writing to us today that say, Be very careful. In your society, you too could be deceived by persuasive words. Now, I'd like to give us one extra caution that he couldn't give back then. In the Bible days, there was no internet. In the Bible days, there was no uh, cable TV. In the Bible days, there was no dish network where you could suck from all over the world any kind of ism and spasm more quickly right in the comfort and the privacy of your own home without anyone being there to shut the channel off or change the channel that was coming at your way or to get you off that Internet site or to turn the radio off or to keep the publications from coming in your mailbox. There was nothing going on to that. They were just living in just a general world. We live in a world that not only do we have the same things, they had neighbors, we have neighbors. They had work, we had work. They had military, we had military. They had kids, we had kids. They had education, we had education. But in addition to that, we also have all this other stuff that is being mainlined, it is being pumped, it is being shoved, it is being screamed at us. And in the midst of all of that, there'll be truth, but far more there's going to be a little bit of truth mixed in with a whole lot of air. And that's going to be mainlined at us. So Paul is saying, I agonize you that you'll firmly resist deception. And so I'm up here today, and I, I, you could see I'm a little worked up. Not angry at you, not mad at you, but I want you to know I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to eat plastic food, so to speak. I don't want you to believe a lie that sounds so good. Listen, let me tell you something. Truth does not need to have great speakers because truth is more powerful. But I'll tell you, lies need tremendous amount of persuasion for some people to do it. 
And today with all of Madison Avenue, all their hype, all their glitz, all their music, all their graphics, all their sound, all the ways to do it, all their mind games that they've learned how to play for 2,000 years. And Satan is just a master at all of this stuff. It is so easy for us to be deceived. And Paul is saying, I'm agonizing for you people. I love you. I care for you. Please don't be deceived. So he says, so whether I'm with you or I'm absent from you, he says, I want you to know, don't be deceived. Now, notice the last phrase, and I thought this was as positive here, and I'm glad I could end this point on his positive. He says this, yet I am with you in spirit, and here's what I'm doing. I'm rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith. So put a number one by the phrase good order, and put a number two by the steadfastness of your faith. We see if I can make some sense out of this. So you understand, I'm not angry at all of you. I'm not going to roll up my sleeves or take my marbles and go home. I'm not leaving the island. I'm certainly not going to leave this church. I think logic would tell us, if those of you that are logic-minded, that within Colossae there are people that were Christians that knew better and should have been living for the Lord that weren't fully living for God. And so Paul is just pumping at them. And in Colossae, there were people that were hungering for God and were living a life of of seeking His face and abiding in whatever word and remembrance that they had because they didn't have a Bible in those days. But they were hanging together for accountability and spiritual growth and focus and worship and outreach and all of that. So we knew that there was a blend of both of those kind of people. I also believe that Paul knew that, that there was a potential that what would move them away from their walk with God was deception. But even in that church where deception could occur, probably will occur at some times, there was still a group of people, and I'm going to refer to an Old Testament phrase called the, the remnant. There still is a group of people that were hanging on, doing good order. In other words, they, or, watch this, they organized their work. They had discipline in their life. They knew what to say yes to, what to do no to, what was priority in their life, what they had to put first. There was good order in them, and they were steadfast in their faith. So even in the midst of all the challenges, a very deceptive culture, They still were people there that knew how to navigate and rise above that culture to do that. But when there's an opportunity for you to grow spiritually, make the tough call. Whatever you sacrifice now, you'll gain more later. So that's spiritual maturity. And there are many people in this church that want to do it. There are many of you that are very careful. We have tremendous Bible teachers in our connection group on Sunday morning and the ones that meet in the middle of the week that really want you to know the Word of God accurately, correctly. Now, why do they want you to do that? Because if you accurately know it, two things will happen. One, you will worship the right God the right way because you'll know Him correctly. And secondly, you then will know truth to then reject deception. You'll be able to see the counterfeit because you know the truth so well. We've got that. And there are many of you that are taking the time out of your schedule and tired at the end of a busy week to go to these kind of things so you could learn. the. There are people that are like that. And so we're agonizing that everybody gets on board to really grow spiritually. And I, I just hope that each one of you would agonize for each other and for me to do these same things so we would not be deceived by this. So what do we want to deny? We want to deny deception and deceivers. What do we want to embrace? the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. Paul was quick to joyfully affirm them and that they were standing firm individually and collectively against the attack of false teachers. Let me end this point with this one practical thing. Those of you that have been somewhat Christian or you've been religious on the island long enough, you read the same newspapers that I do. You see the same seminars and conferences that come in to our city. Have you often wondered that when we have these big 
mainland people or great speakers or great conferences that you don't hear a lot of that coming from our pulpit. You don't see it in the bulletin. You don't see flyers. Have you ever wondered why you don't see us big, a lot of promotion? One reason is we don't have confidence in the people that are speaking, that they're speaking sound truth. And so we won't maybe put them down. We won't puff them up either. Maybe there's some that there's a great conference on the island, but we're very careful about promoting it because there are some great speakers, but they don't have a standard, the leaders, so they'll bring in some that'll say some things that are not biblical. But we don't know which ones are which one and who's doing what, when, where, and how to get you to all these things. So the best thing is, is just not to puff it, not to, to promote it, so to speak. Have you ever wondered why we do that? Now, Satan will tell you that, oh, that's because... Pastor Stan and the leaders here, they want to build their own little empire over here away from all of them. They're jealous of all what they're doing. That's the farthest from the truth. What we are trying to do is to protect you from hearing things that are not accurate so that you would understand God fully in the most accurate way. And so we're very careful so that we're helping you not to have to make some decisions on what is out there, but you still have the freedom. You get the newspapers and you decide on your own. It's just that we care for you and we pray for you and we really love you. Now, I'm sure you can go to a lot of other churches that have a lot of other stuff on Sunday morning, but they'll rarely say what I'm telling you right here. I love you with all of my heart. And I love God just a little bit more. And I want you to know Him. Let's go to number three. Paul wanted them not only to um, grow to full maturity in Christ, he also wanted them to reject deceitfulness strongly. He wanted them to do that. But number three, he agonized that people would live by grace through faith gratefully. Not just gracefully, but gratefully. He says here, he says, As you therefore receive Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Well, that's interesting. How did you receive the Lord? You received the Lord by faith alone in Christ alone. John 1.12 says, To as many as received Him, to them gave you the right to become the children of God. So you received Christ by faith. You received Him by believing. Now, just as we received Him by believing... How do we walk? Now, here's what it means to walk by faith. Walk by faith means that I'm going to depend upon God for his power so I can walk in a way that's honoring to him. So I'm going to trust him to give me the strength to do it. I'm also depending, watch this, I'm depending upon God that God's way in his word is the right way to walk properly. So if I'm going to walk pleasing to him, I'm trusting that his word is the way to do it. So since his word is the way to do it, I now obey his word by doing what his word tells me to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. So as I received him by faith alone, I now choose to walk with him by trusting that his way is the only way. I believed his way was the only way to get to heaven by trusting in Christ. It was faith alone in Christ. So I trusted him. And so now I trust him that he is the only way through his word that I'm to please him by obeying it. I believe to do that. Now he says the byproduct of that is going to be four things. Now look at the passage here. Number one, it says that I'm going to be rooted in him. All of these have the phrase in him, in him. So I have him as the very source of my being as I want to grow. So Paul is saying I'm agonizing over you all that you now could really grow in the knowledge of the Lord in these areas. And so he gives you four of them. Now, about a month ago, do you remember me telling you the um, story about how Carol and I uh, started to grow pineapples in our backyard? We have four pineapple plants now, and I, I'm waiting for the next pineapple that comes into our house that someone gives to us or we buy at the store, and I'm going to cut the top, and I'm going to have five pineapples I'm going to start growing in our place. Now, I told Carol, I, I'll make sure you understand that you have the dole plantation. We're not going to have the ponds plantation, okay, Ron and Ruth, so don't worry about having a whole backyard full of pineapples. 
but we've been growing those pineapples. Now, some of you that maybe have grown pineapples, for us, it's the first time. So here's what we've learned about growing pineapples. We've taken the top, the crown of that pineapple, and after we kind of twist it off, it has a little cone that's kind of shaped like an ice cream cone that kind of hangs down, and it's white. The first thing we do is we put it in a beaker of water for about a week or two. What that does is it creates little roots that start to show up, three, four inches long, maybe no more than that. Then Carol takes that out of the water after it starts showing roots, and she puts it in a smaller pot about this big. She takes that pineapple plant, that little crown, and with the little roots, she digs a little hole in this nice, good, rich dirt, puts it in there, covers it up. We put it in the sunshine, try to keep it away from basketballs and other things that might be thrown at it. And then uh, we water it real good, and then we kind of look at it every day, and we watch the thing grow. Now, I'd like to have my dear brother James bring out one of our early babies, okay? Now, this isn't much to look like. You know, it's kind of spiky, and here at the end, uh, I don't know how long we've had this, maybe about four months now, here at the top, it's kind of a little pointed right here, so we kind of water it down the center, thinking that God made this in such a way that the water will come each one of these, I don't know if you call them leaves, or they probably have a technical botanical name, but it'll all go to the center, and then it'll kind of drip out, make sure it's here, and I set it out here. Now, why am I showing you this? Here, this verse says that we have been rooted in Christ. That is in a tense that indicates that it's a past action. So what he's saying to those people at Colossae is, you have trusted Christ. When you trusted Christ, you were rooted in Him. You were placed in Him. Now, the placing in Him kind of happened in two ways. First of all, I chose to trust Christ as Savior. But He made the choice extremely easy. He convicted me of sin. He brought me the message. He prompted my heart. So there was a lot of God going into this. And then I trusted Christ as Savior. Now, when I did, that moment... I was placed into Christ. So there's a bit of a choice that I'm making. I am appropriating this by faith. I'm calling upon the name of the Lord. God doesn't call on the name of the Lord. I call on the name of the Lord. That's my part. So I'm now placed in this. So I'm rooted. Now that's past tense. You're looking at a man who knows he's going to heaven when he dies, not because he's a preacher, but because I placed my faith in Christ and I'm now rooted in Christ. Now, once you're rooted in Christ, that does not guarantee that we will grow and produce fruit. It does mean I have a potential to do that because the source is Christ. Now, that's where I'm going with this. So for you as a believer to come to full maturity in Christ, I agonize, first of all, that you are now going to be rooted in Christ. Have you placed your faith alone in Christ? If you have rooted in Christ, rooted in Christ now also means His Word. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself, but in chapter 3, it talks about let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So now, to be rooted in Christ is to be deeply rooted into His Word. So that happens. Now, after I've been rooted in Christ, look at number 2. Then it says, I need to be built up in Him. Now, once you're rooted, you'll notice that it's placed in there, the roots are in there, but it's not built up yet. Now, what I haven't... I better hold this up so you in the back can see this. I will be honest with you or frank with you, this plant right now is larger than the, when it was first planted. So it was rooted, plunk, now it's being built up. But it's still nothing. I can, you know, when I chew on the leaves, certainly not going to smoke the leaves. All right? So there's nothing I'm going to do with this. I can't do anything with it except admire it and keep it from damage and making sure that it gets all the things necessary. That's called nurturing it. Now, after it is uh, rooted and built up in him, if you'll bring out my next baby. Now, I'm not bringing out all of our our pineapples, but I want to bring out our next baby. Now, isn't this cute right here? 
That's a cute one. Now, this is our medium. We have another one that's larger and another one that's larger, but it's growing out there. Now, when it's finally grown, by the way, let me say, rooted in here, it's being built up in this thing, but we're not finished with it yet, but it's just beginning to come up. And I'm looking at this, and we're watering every day. The other one is a little bit bigger, different variety. Got another one that's out there. I can't wait. I figured out that if I have about 18 of these, then I could eat one of these once a month for the rest of my life if I just keep planting them in my, 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 my order here. And so once a month, Carol and I can have a candlelight dinner on our lanai, just a pineapple with our little baby. And we're the only ones that can eat our baby. But anyway, so we have this little baby right here. Now, where am I going with that? Go back to the passage again. I'm rooted in him. I'm built up in him. Then it changes a little bit, and it says I'm established in the faith. Now, what I can tell you is that this is far more established in here. If I jerk it around a little bit, it's going to stay steady because it was rooted. It's starting to grow, but the roots have really kind of take, taken over this pot. Now, I'm not a horticulturalist or a, or a botanist yet, but I'm wondering that if I might not get as big a pineapple because I've, I've constrained it by too small of a, of, a, of a, what do you call it, a container. If I had a bigger one, it would get bigger. So I went to Dole Plantation. And as I went out there, I noticed that these pineapples are planted right next to each other. So they don't have a lot of room either. So I do know that it's established enough in there to make it strong enough that it could grow. Now, if you can see this, there's enough health in this plant that this stem is pretty solid. So I can imagine it'll get much bigger as it's growing. So I look at you. I agonize over every single one of you. Men, women, boys and girls, teenagers, even the guests that might ever, never come back again. I may never see you like Paul said ever again. I may never see your face. But I love God so much and I know what God can do for you that I'll do anything I can to get you closer to God. And that's where my heart is and that's what I'm agonizing today. That's all this angst you're hearing from your pastor. And so I want you to be rooted in Him by trusting Christ as Savior. I want you to be built up in Him. I want you to be so established that when the winds of conflict hit you and when you are bombarded with deception and when you have choices to make and how you use your time even, that you will really give up doing good things, seriously, so that you will choose to do the great things. That's how you're going to grow. And it's every day of your life. You've seen your saints that are out there that have finally said, I've been to all these things, I don't need to go any longer. Then what are you telling us? that now you are retired from spiritual growth? You're going to get old for Christ, but you're not ever going to grow up for Christ. But notice, there's a fourth thing. At the very end of this, it says this, abounding or overwhelming with gratitude. That in the Greek is the only active tense that says these are past tense, they've already been done, it's more passive, it's kind of happening as you're abiding in the Lord. But then the active thing is, you spring out now and you are so grateful. And I would like to maybe, and this is a little step away from this passage, but this little pineapple, I'm going to let represent a little bit of gratefulness. It also could be that when I eat this plant right here, I'm going to be grateful, first of all, that God made pineapples. I'm going to be grateful for however we got that first little crown. I don't know if it came off something we found in the trash or someone gave us a pineapple. We got it. I don't know how we did it, but then we, I'm grateful for the growth. I'm grateful for the rain. I'm grateful that no basketball knocked that off the top. I'm grateful for this plant. I'm grateful for that. Can you imagine? Bite with me. 
mm, in the sweetness of that pineapple. Just the taste that it runs down your chin and on your arm. The sweetness of all that, the gratefulness that we have. And what are we grateful for? How good we are, right? No, we're grateful for all that we have that God gave to us through this whole process. And that's what Paul was agonizing for. He wasn't trying to get a popularity contest. You couldn't do more damage to him anyway. He was in prison when he wrote this. But he said, I cared enough for you. And you're looking up at a pastor right now that when you go home today, yeah, know that I agonized for you. Know about what I agonized. Not legalism. Not a list of do's and don'ts and how many times you have to read your Bible or how many minutes or what time you got to get up in the morning and all that junk. But I just agonized that you would have a full growing relationship with Christ, that you would reject deception strongly and firmly. And at the same time, you'd have such a spirit of gratefulness as a result of what God's doing in your life because you've made those tough calls as a believer. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.